This is Loika Darkroom. This is where we share stories and celebrate the success of photographers in the Web3 space. I'm your host, Pam Voth. Let's go into the darkroom and see what develops. Hello and welcome everyone to the Monday episode of the Slika Darkroom. I'm here today with Jordan Banks and uh, we are going to dive in and figure out um, what is what does travel photography mean to Jordan because he's an amazing award-winning travel photographer and he's also recently become editor of Journey Magazine and of course he's the one who founded Journey co-founded Journey Magazine. So we're going to dive in and learn all about that. Um, my name is Pam Voth. I'm your host. And uh, yeah, we are super happy that you're here listening in. And um, yeah, I I talked with Jordan, I, I think it's been about a year ago, almost, I, I would almost say like a year ago this, this month that I first had a chance to meet you right here on a Twitter space. I was brand new to Sloika. It was, uh, it was probably only a couple weeks after I started and they're like, yeah, you're going to be doing Twitter spaces with all the photographers. So I was like, great. Oh my goodness. How am I going to do that? So you, I remember we had this great conversation about the series you had just launched on Sloika, which was called Saffron Men of, Saffron Men of India. And I was just blown away with your your depth of knowledge about photography and travel photography. And here we are a year later with all kinds of things have gone on in the NFT space. Probably lots of stuff has gone on in, in you know, IRL as far as, as travel space or travel photography goes. And um, yeah, I would love to just kind of catch up and see what's been going on with you. And I really am curious about Journey Magazine, and I think it's just the coolest project that I think people will really enjoy getting to know more about. And let's uh, let's let's start off, if you don't mind, Jordan. Um, could you, for for people who haven't heard from you in a while, because I know we have a lot of new friends out there, and the Soika family is always growing. Could you kind of give us your background, sort of an introduction to? How you uh, how you found yourself to become a photographer? Yeah, I think I lost you there. I don't know if I've broken up. I think I got the question. I was losing a bit of connection there. Um, oh, my background, yeah. Wasn't it? Is that so, right? Uh, well, I did. Get yeah, that. yeah. Just the just the background introduction. Cool. You know how um, you, how you found yourself. Yeah, as so a I'm a travel photographer from London, and uh, I well, I originally started out doing uh, conflicts and uh, social issues. And then moved into travel, really just for a, a safer, more secure living, really, rather than having to put my life on the line to go out and tell the stories, obviously, once I've got a family and things. And I really, I, I mean, I've been doing it so long now, it's like, it's hard to tell where it all began, really. It was, it's been a hell of a journey, but that's sort of the originally of where it came from. And then the travel I was just, I was really, really lucky, I think. I feel a bit like I've said it before in this space about finding this space is one of those things that was, I just happened to be in the right time at the right place. And I think that was very much the case of with travel photography and just, I was sort of in that crossover from, uh, well, it was still film predominantly. I mean, digital was around, but it was incredibly expensive. But it was just making that crossover to affordable. And there was really not the competition or that, you know, it wasn't really this cool career. And it, was, it wasn't even really a job that many people were doing. I sort of fell into it just by, I think, because people, editors, you know, clients knew that I was prepared to go anywhere. It sort of gave myself this name of, oh, we've got this job in this place you know what about jordan jordan's probably up for that and you know sort of i built a name as a person who's prepared to just go out and do things and 
go to places that maybe weren't always at that. I mean, as it turns out, they were all absolutely fantastic. But, you know, if you're talking the early 2000s, people weren't quite as comfortable traveling to places like Nicaragua. There wasn't Lonely Planet, you know, Panama, these places. There was a little bit of, you know, Colombia was still considered, there was this sort of propaganda about places being a lot more dangerous than they actually were. So I saw, again, I think it was just a lot of being in the right place at the right time and having to know the right people that kicked off my career, really, and has led me down this like rabbit hole of just so many different avenues and revenue streams and ways I've found work. And yeah, it's been, it's quite a journey really. And then it's accumulated really in probably what I feel will be one of the last things I do in terms of like big projects, which is journey, which I don't know if you want me to jump into that Pam and how I got started on that or. Well, I would love to definitely go there, but I was I was wanting to dive a little bit more. I don't. If we, if, I think you did could, answer. Pam. I, can't, I haven't actually got you for some reason. I can't hear you, which is a bit of an issue. Maybe I might need to dip out and then come back in. Okay. Yeah. Let's okay, do that. Second, I think yeah, there I must be some speak, ragging going on. Can't hear you. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll let you leave and come on back. There must be some. I hope. Can you got the rest of you guys hear me? Let's hear some. See some hearts. If people can hear me, I'm not seeing any hearts. Oh, there's one. <laughs> hey, thanks, Baron, Jerry, and Armand. Okay. Phew. <laughs> okay. I was just like, whoa, what's happening? All right, we're bringing Jordan back up here. I appreciate all the hearts, you guys. That makes me feel like I'm not talking to a, an empty wall. Yay. Okay, great, Jordan. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thanks, Twitter. All right, well, Twitter's got their own things going on, don't they? Um, anyway, let's... Uh, yeah, I'm back. So I can hear I, you, just so you know. Sorry. Okay, great. Thanks, Jordan. So before we dive into Journey Deep, because I about you and your photography, it, so it's cool that you were always tapped to be like, hey, let's get let's get Jordan Banks. He'll do it. He'll go those places. It's almost like Life Serial, like, let's get Mikey. <laughs> He'll lead it. That's a really old commercial for anyone who <laughs> doesn't know what I'm talking about. It's an old serial commercial. I see you laughing. You must know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so Jordan, I've, I've had a chance to look at your website. It's amazing. You, you seem to be able to create very unique images of very iconic places. How, how do you, how, what goes into your creative process where like you show up at a place that everyone and their brother has taken a picture of? How do you go about making it unique and, and, and in your own style? That's a really good question. I, I honestly, I ask myself quite a lot how, like, I'm glad that it comes across that way that I do manage to go to these places and get a unique take on it because that is something I really try and do and I, I, I've never really been able to sort of put a way of, of doing it into an explainable or explainable method but I think that it's, it probably comes down to realistic research that when I go to a place I will spend a lot of time researching where I'm going what's been shot what's not been shot what you know where and then once I've sort of established that okay this is what I don't want to do I want to give my clients a reason to not you know to be commissioning me not to be buying stock photography or you know just outsourcing to Getty or something so that was a way to do it and I and I then I I don't really know how I I, I mean I'd look I obviously couldn't when it started off I couldn't find the actual shots I mean now I know how I do it a lot easier because for example if I know I use the Eiffel Tower or, or London Skyline there's quite a lot but you can use Google Earth so you can actually see where different shots are and you can almost line shots up prior to actually being on location in a lot of places but again when so all the research I do, I have an idea of what I, I don't want to do because it's very easy, obviously, to turn up to somewhere like the Taj Mahal or the Eiffel Tower or whatever it might be. And, you know, you obviously see the classic shots, 
So it's trying to find that different thing. But I'll spend a lot of time on location actually scouting the place. So, I'll, so my general sort of when I'm on assignment, I'll spend a sort of afternoon, evening, sunrise, and then a morning in, in assuming conditions are all right. So my afternoon shot would be, or my afternoon would be spent sort of wrecking the places I want to shoot for sunset, for sunrise. Then morning, I'd have a few more places that I'd fill in and just like try things and see what worked. And then I'd move on to the next place and sort of keep wrecking it like that. So I had this motion going of searching out the places I was going to shoot before I shot them. And then I think as well, like... (laughs) I know if it I see the world in a sort of I always have when I was a young child and still today I sort of almost like take frames in my head which is probably a trait a lot of photographers actually have but I sort of had this sort of ability to put the world into boxes very quickly just in my own head and I think that's played a massive advantage in the way that in photography obviously I was almost taking pictures in my mind before I was even holding a camera so I sort of managed to sort of I think composition and interesting things and what interested me was is quite important I think I was really you know a huge part of what I like about photography is the human connection so I think once I started to look at places and actually like go right this is no longer just that sort of landmark or this landscape how do I incorporate what the place is actually like by the human element or a human connection to it and really try and give that a sense of place to the viewer that really helped and it was it, it came just very instinctively to me it's something i've never really actually sort of had to work at it was just what i loved about photography and the way my mind worked really huh, that is just that's really cool you know it's so interesting i i we see so many um people submitting their photography to be to, you know to be curated to to this like a platform and there are um it it was weird i i've seen i've seen some really technically amazing shots that are like completely devoid of emotion in some cases because there isn't that human connection and there, i don't know what i don't know what it is it's like someone showed up and they're like yep I can do this exactly perfect shot and you're just like yep that's an exactly perfect shot and there's like <laughs> there's nothing I don't know there's just nothing appealing about it somehow and 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 so with with your work um incorporating the human connection you know as I look through your galleries and stuff I absolutely can see that I can, whether whether there's an actual person in it or, or if it's just like this sort of uh, point of view that I feel like you are showing us because just like, yeah, wouldn't it be great to be like right here? Like you just take into account what the viewer is going to feel. And when you're selling photos to clients and, and to like destination marketing clients and, and maybe other brands and stuff, as I see you work with, with lots of, you know, lots of paying clients across the board, that, that idea that, um, that something is really unique, but also so familiar is, is such a cool topic tightrope to walk um it, it must feel pretty exciting to do that yeah you actually hit on something that's quite important i think in that as well in the for me like what i loved about photography was that like i say that human end, but also that rawness of just actually i truly believed like well i think we all know as photographers that the world is an incredible place and i never felt that like we needed to improve that beauty of it it was just and I, that doesn't mean i'm against anyone doing what they're doing but for me it was just like this is incredibly beautiful enough and i i think coming from film again i was always taught like get it right in camera and, and the beauty of the of back in film was you know it wasn't quite so easy to do anything so it was really all to capture it right and capture it perfect and obviously i'm not saying i achieved that but 
that was my goal was to say, look, this is this is actually if you turn up to this spot and you watch a sunset from here, yeah, the clouds are going to be different, the sun's going to be at a slightly different angle, but you could physically see this whether you're a photographer or just a traveller or anyone. It's not like this doesn't exist or it's been too processed. And and you know, and moving on to that, what's driven me to keep doing that, I think, is that the annoyance of seeing just last I don't know last couple of years um, some Nat Geo stuff and I think I, I think I, I think, well, won one of them and was runner up in one but there was a whole load of these pictures out there and they were all incredible and the rules are that nobody could doctor them I knew some of the places weren't doctored I knew some of the photographers who'd taken them and they hadn't done anything to them and all the comments in the newspaper articles about it were just like oh yeah anyone can do it it's just all photoshop now it's all photoshop and I was like you're so like it really sort of angered me a bit that people thought that not against the photographer. I was just like, maybe if you go outside and stop criticizing people and you actually sit and watch sunsets and you go out and find these places, you'll realize the world is that beautiful. And it's not that people are just all lying to you. It, it, you know, it really is that incredible. And I want to try and, and that really helped with clients as well, because again, clients, when they're selling these photos or using these photos to market their product, they want to be very realistic with what they're doing. You know, there's no point if I'm shooting a hotel, and I make it look better than it is, like, well, mass is better than it is. And the person turns up, they're disappointed. So they, they're not bought what they sold. They're not buying what they're being sold. They're sort of under, they've overpaid or underbought or whatever the term is. And again, you know, with magazines, with editorial, no one wants to, they didn't want these sort of really fantastic, dreamy landscapes that do look incredible. They wanted this, this is what it really looks like. And obviously it works if you can make it look as good as it can. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think you're, you're dead on. And, and of course there are, there are some clients like National Geographic who, who will not accept things, you know, Photoshopped <laughs> that are, you know, they, they're, they're quite, they're quite clear about that in terms of the, the work that they put forth and they're trying to sell, you know, a, a realistic and, and true vision of the world. It's at least from, from what I've, uh, what I've experienced and what I understand. Do you remember your first shot that you sold to National Geographic? Like, tell, tell us about that story. Oh God, I, I don't know. It would have been. There's probably been from, so many. <laughs> I, I, the, I, it would have been a story because I was in uh, Guatemala. I lived in Guatemala and covered Central America for some press back here and, and ended up doing quite a few stories. So I think the first story I did for them may have been, and I've forgotten the name now, but there was a tiny little village sort of in the middle of nowhere in Guatemala that you wouldn't, it was near Antigua, which is where I live, but maybe an hour away. Um, and it had these Mayan boulders or like boulder rocks with sort of Mayan uh, carving on them, but they were really not made a big deal out of. They were just sort of plonked around a little town square and we did a whole feature on those. So I think it might have been, it was either that or something in Mexico on the cenotes probably, I think. Uh, that was, but the, uh, yeah, I, I should probably remember. Well, next that. time. <laughs> I, I was a bit like, I was a bit naive to it as well. Like, I, you know, back then I didn't really understand the marketing or, or like quite how privileged I was. I just sort of to do the work I was doing because it wasn't really, no one was telling me like, oh, this is a great job you're really doing. Like now it was always just like, you know, everyone's like, what, you're a photographer? Like, oh, this isn't, you know, this, this isn't going to end well. You know, are you going to make money taking pictures? So there was more of a negative side of it, you know, that 
than there was like wow so i was sort of you know never really and the, the internet wasn't really a thing that i used it was you know wasn't there was no instagram there was nothing like this so it was just sort of me doing my thing i didn't really think anything of it really i just i was more actually the love of travel at that stage and just seeing things than even photography that was i mean photography has probably it's gone the other way now i'm more photography than travel but it, then it was like this is just how do i see the world and try and make some money and, and actually do something with it as well did were there other photographers that you knew when you were when you were very young that you looked up and, to them and was like oh i like that would be the key to what i wanted to do. yeah yeah totally there was um well i went obviously probably like all of us i went through different stages but um the ones that most uh, had most effect on me is probably um or james natchway who I still believe is probably the best photographer that's ever walked the planet in just, I mean, in what I like anyway, photojournalism and documentary photography is just absolutely phenomenal. And, um, and then he, um, some Magnum photographers, um, and then, but then he, he actually, uh, James Natchway left and formed seven with a, uh, John Steinmore, Ron Haviv, Alexander Villay, all of these people. And, um, and four others, I forget all their names, and I don't know them all. And I was lucky enough to meet them uh, in Croatia. A friend of my owns a war photo gallery in Dubrovnik in Croatia, which is where my wife's from. So this whole chain of events brought us together. And, and they were actually, funnily enough, the ones who actually changed me from doing the stuff that they do from the war and the, the stuff, that sort of stuff, and took me more into doing the travel and nicer side of things, should I say, because they didn't deliberately scare me off. They were just like telling me the, the, the pitfalls of it and was I aware of it, probably realising that I was pretty young and probably a bit naive and I may be about to get in over my head and what I was about to witness or see or do or and I, I think in fairness like I've, I've never I didn't I, I spoke I know some of them I don't actually keep in contact with James Natchway but I think that um you know he I think I made the right decision from uh from what he I've heard about things and what they've sort of said about how you know what I've gone for gone on I think I feel I don't you know it was the right decision I probably could have ended up making a lot of mistakes and you know might have been fatal or something like that if I'd not had someone to put me in my place and in a good way yeah yeah for sure I uh I, I've always been quite impressed with but also kind of wondering how uh, how photographer how those photojournalists you know can embed themselves into such really dangerous conflict zones and and bring us the stories that they do I think it definitely takes a special breed of um brave person and someone who can really read the room really, really well. <laughs> I, I have trouble sometimes just watching like a really good spy thriller. I'm like, no, wait, which which side are they on? And, you know, that I, I think I'm, I'm going to stay away from, from those kind of places, but I absolutely celebrate the, the work that, that photographers do and the really hard work that they do to bring us these stories of what's really going on around the world because they, they're so important for us to, to really see that work, see those images and, you know, that, that creates such an emotional I feel like it creates such an emotional response to the and and you know probably incites people to action to like change things <laughs> so kudos to everyone who can do that I, I know I have no fear getting in front of a grizzly bear and taking photos and a lot of people wouldn't do that so I we all got our things right <laughs> I definitely wouldn't do that I was in Yosemite and uh, Montana what's that glacier and I've never been so scared in my life of a bear like I never even I saw them by the side of the road never came across them but I was with proper panic the whole time like that I was going to get attacked by a bear 
Yeah, well, we all got our things. Um, so, okay, so what? Uh, it's, you've been to so many countries. Do you do you have any favorites that that either you've been to recently or something that really stands out in the past as to like, oh, that's the best. That was the best travel trip, you know, to to take photos of uh, of your memory. Yeah, there's a few. Um, I think India always just for photographically is just a, an incredible place. I mean, it's just a hub of life. There's just always something going. There's so many amazing festivals, play everything. It's just incredible. Um, and I really love the chaotic nature of India. Like I sort of thrive on places like that. Um, going in the opposite direction, Bhutan, I think is one that really I just loved. I mean, for, I'm sure most people have heard about what life's like there, and it really is just super chill, super peaceful. This like himalayan wonder that was just you know the, so fantastic that you know i was really blown away by it. a few things of just the, the culture and the way they did things over there actually had like quite a lasting effect on me and the way i lived some of my life which um i can delve into one which i think was, was quite quick i was um walking up to the tiger's nest which is this probably fake well, it is a famous monastery that sort of almost looks like it's hung by hung on the side of a cliff and it's i can't remember the altitudes but it's r- roughly around three thousand meters and you're walking up another not a massive height but still at altitude a bit i've got all my kit anyway and you have to get these in bhutan you're not just allowed to just roam free or not you weren't then i don't know if it's changed you had to have they sort of sold it as you had to have this like visa for 200 dollars a day but really what that visa was was actually included all your accommodation you had these two guards two guides who i had two young fellas a toyota land cruiser and they just took me around and you know just they, they, did, they didn't sort of keep an eye on me they just made sure i had a great time and I, everyone had to have this and it was like we became really good friends and these two guys i think i was late 20s maybe something like that maybe 30 something and these two guys were like 19 20 and just first of all it struck me how they lived their life so peacefully and just like they had you know, the like they weren't trying to be cool they weren't like the lads like you'd sort of expect these sort of 19 year old 20 year olds i was used to from england or what i was like and um something that really hit me they got re- one of them got really into the photography and started like you know getting into like helping me out with changing lenses and trying to learn it was and then as we're walking up this mountain like the second time to go to this thing he was like oh let me carry a bag because i was struggling a bit i guess and i was like you know it's altitude and i was like no no it's fine and then he's like no no honestly this is nothing so i let him carry my bag and um you know thought nothing of it then we get up to this like point and i'm taking some pictures and he's like help me he's like what lens do you want and all this and I was like, yeah, and he was getting really into it. And then I was like, and this person came up, this woman came up to me, and she's like, how dare you treat them like slaves, you know, these people and this, and was giving me a really hard time about what looked, I guess, on the outside, like I was abusing these people or, you know, using them as staff for me. And I got, I reacted to it, and they both sat there and didn't say a thing. And I was like, you know, how dare you talk to me like this? And probably gave us some lit back. And then uh, they say, said nothing. I sort of couldn't understand why they didn't say anything. And then later on, um, when she'd gone they were like why did you do that and I was like why didn't you know why didn't you say something they're like who cares like you knew that like you weren't doing what she was saying you don't need to react to people like that just leave it just ignore her like you you know you didn't do anything and I was just it to- that just little things like that really changed the way I suddenly you know it was just like god this is quite embarrassing having a 19 year old tell someone tell me that you know how to how to act properly <laughs> like this is so obvious and you know, lots of things like that, just little things. And there's a few other occasions where not the similar thing, but, you know, different things. I just learned the way they appreciated life and it. It really had a lasting effect on me. Um, and the other place just in countries is Croatia, I'd say. Just I've got a huge connection to it for my wife. We've lived over there. And I just remember turning up in Dubrovnik before I'd even met my wife and just being like, wow, looking over the hill at this old town, like castle sat in this crystal clear turquoise water and 
I was just blown away. And then I continue to explore the country and everywhere I go, it just throws up some other gem. It's just unbelievably beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. And the people are super, super friendly and welcoming. And yeah, it's like a second home to me now. Sorry if I waffled there for a bit as well. <laughs> no, I love that. I love it. And I've I've never been to Croatia, but my mom travels a lot. She's She's been there and has brought, she uh, loves photography and has brought, back some some really amazing photos so i i really have to say i want to go check out croatia but i had a funny when you were telling the story about the visa that you need to go to bhutan so i have a a a funny very very brief story about how i ended up in bhutan without a visa (laughs) i don't know if i've told this one before i've always been kind of waiting for the perfect time to share this i've done some crazy stuff when i've traveled and you know i think it was back in the day before there was any any way of really getting kind of like caught for stuff like this there weren't you know like the cameras or whatever but Anyway, this wasn't that long ago, but it was definitely in a place without cameras. I was I was actually on the India side of the of the border, uh, way up in Assam, and I was traveling around with a an elephant veterinarian and kind of documenting what he was doing to take care of the elephants that were used by the mahouts up in one of the national parks, Kaziranga, there to um, patrol for poachers to help keep the one-horned rhino safe and all the other animals, of course. But so I was I was there covering this guy you know doing doing them like a just a, a passion project about his work and um so they they kept they kept passing me off to to like the next group of people who were going to like show me the next part of the story right so so this this one guy um uh, his name was raj he had the funniest voice and he he was just like accompanying me to the next part of where we were going to go well he got us into with some, he got us into some uh, to a pickup truck with some forest guards and he's like yeah these forest guards they've seen elephants like wild elephants running around up here so we're gonna go check them out so I got in the back of the truck and we like busting through those forests with the forest guards driving and then all of a sudden Raj looks back and he goes madam you've just entered Bhutan without a visa and I was like what because you know it's like a crazy like sideline row the fence is all busted up and everything and i'm like we are across the water from actually bhutan but um actually no we were on the right side of the water but we had passed this like big white marker in the ground that it was like you've just crossed the international border i was like holy cow get me out of here i want to come back with a visa i don't want to get in trouble for this so uh we didn't stay long but i definitely have a couple of uh illicit selfies of me um being in bhutan without a <laughs> without a proper visa we came right back though if anyone's listening we came right back right back across <laughs> that, the border <laughs> that border's uh kind of like not a border isn't it you can just walk across it if i remember almost yeah. as well can't yeah, no, you? there's yeah. no one there <laughs> no there's no it's like a forest <laughs> I, I remember being at the if it, it's just, I, I know i crossed from southern in or southern bhutan back into india because like, normally you fly in and out but um i remember being like in the like the bhutan side and you could see india and it was just like Bhutan was really quiet. It was like, oh, it's all, oh, and then you just go over the border. It was like this oh, mayhem from India. It's just like quite like weird to watch. You're like, this is so funny just to see from the outside. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I've never, I, I haven't had the chance to experience Bhutan the way you describe it, and I would love to sometime. And hopefully they don't listen to this and decide to not approve the visa for me. But I didn't know that if if that visa does include, you know, some guides or, or some at least uh, helpful, maybe they don't do that anymore but wow that would be really cool um so have you been anywhere recently did you have any like recent favorite photo that you you've got yeah i've been 
like for the last since new nft nyc i've been basically on assignments i've been all over the place i just got back from mauritius and i took a shot that i've wanted to take for a long time which was the uh there's an undersea waterfall off the coast of a place called Le Mans in southern Mauritius. And uh, I managed, I wasn't sure if I was like a plane or not, but I went straight there. I landed and the conditions were looking great. So I went straight there uh, and took a picture and got a drone up. And I think I was about, I had to go like two and a half kilometers off the coast in really, like it's a uh, kite surfing place. So it was super windy. The drone was telling me to land the whole time, like saying it's high winds, be careful. Um, it's like 500 meters and two and a half kilometers off the coast, but I managed to snag the shot. So I was pretty happy with that. And I got a shot that um, I'm quite happy with. It is uh, it is set up, but it's still, I kind of like it. I was on Arizona actually for Journey. We had to go and shoot something out there for the uh, Arizona Tourist Board. And we'd been doing a piece on the makers of like the, all the artists and creatives. And it was really cool. And through Tucson and like met some incredible people, bakers and you know, women brewer- run breweries and stuff. But I didn't quite have this cover shot because you know I didn't. It was I just didn't wasn't sure I had it. So I rang the tourist board and was like, "Is there any?" And where we are actually is well worth noticing. It's near Segura, which is a cactus Segura National Park. So the whole place is just like million or hundreds of thousands of these like giant cactuses that you sort of see in cartoons. And I was I was like, God, it'd be so cool to get some of those at sunset. And then I started to see like people were obviously sort of a few cowboy sort of country. And I was like, God, it'd be super cool if I could just get this but obviously with the times a cowboy or someone on a horse riding through these cactus fields and um obviously i was like i could probably get this shot in an ideal world i'd like to have got it naturally but when you're on assignment that's not always possible so i actually rang them i was like any chance you could get me like a arrange a cowboy for me or a man with a horse or a woman with a horse anyone with a horse and at sunset in a cactus field Two hours later, they were like, yeah, we've got you this guy who's worked on movie sets before that's been filmed down here. He's His ranch is out of back of the cactus field that I'd actually, I'd Googled some sort of reference photos just from stock to sort of show to them. Like, this is like how, I, you know, not what I want, but sort of imagining. And they were like, yeah, this is actually shot. Some of those are shot on his ranch. And I managed to get this shot with the sort of dust anyway of him, like running at me in the horse the sun's peeking through the cactus and um, there's sort of dust flying everywhere. And it's, yeah, it was, I was quite happy with that, how that outcome and that will be the cover of issue four, funnily enough. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Wow. That's amazing. That's so cool. Well, that's a perfect tie in to let's, shall we dive into journey? I think um, I, I, I know, uh, I know I'm dying to hear more about this. I, I remember hearing you on a space a while back and just I think I think it was just like you were just maybe kicking off the first issue or something it was all quite exciting and I would just love to hear how how it came about like I I, I know there was um, um just like there were what was a time during COVID of obviously that all of the travel writers and, and photographers were like well <laughs> cool your heels you can't do anything can't go anywhere um is that kind of what <laughs> what sparked this idea or like how did you guys come up with this and and i know you have a, a co-founder on this too right i don't know if that person's here or not but I, everyone's uh would love to hear how it came about yeah i do have a, a co-founder i should point out actually, i'm not actually even the editor as well i'm the founding editor or co-founding editor who's with my business partner cav dadba who is also a photographer and writer but he's not uh he's not really into web three yet and um i'm trying to get him into it but you know we're so he's taken the sort of web two side of um journey on and obviously has a different sort of skill set to me in terms of he's probably more organized so he's better fitted to actually sort of oversee what we sh- what we put in the magazine and keep the organization and the marketing side of things going 
uh, in the traditional world anyway. But um, it all started by in the pandemic. So in the summer of 2020, I was in Croatia and I just heard the news that uh, Lonely Planet magazine and Sunday Times Traveler magazine in the UK had gone under uh, because of the pandemic. And I was like, I just, I was like, God, I was talking to my wife and I was like, it's such a good time now to start a travel magazine. Like there's, there's just no competition. So we could probably make it work. And um, then I rang my business partner and I was like, yeah, man, what do you think about doing this? Expecting to be told, uh, no, like you're an idiot. Like, of course we're not, I'm not interested in that. And he was straight away like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then like, he's like, let's have a call in a couple of days. So we spoke and he was like, do you remember like about 10 years ago, I'd spoken to you about doing a magazine by photographers for photographers. And um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. We'd even sort of looked at a bit of a business plan, but it completely, I obviously probably had it in my subconscious, but I'd totally forgotten about it. And the idea was that, like I say, it's by by photographers for photographers, and obviously this is we didn't quite get even get into the writer stage of things of like this. And then we actually decided that we the best we didn't really need to do it for any profit at this stage. We just wanted to just make it actually. Let's try and really make it for the creatives and give back to this community that's given us so much. We were lucky enough that you know we had made our careers of running a fairly successful tour, photo tour, and workshop company. You know there was. And we thought we could probably use our connections to self-fund, to fund this through crowdfunding and so on and so on. And then actually really and everything would go back into the creative. So we could, after printing costs, we could support the writers and photographers who are all out of work. And we kind of thought, you know, we'll get through one issue. And we uh, we were crowdfunding it, asking for give or take £7,000, which was going to cover the costs and pay each uh, contributor, which would be 20 people. Um, I think £250 was the fee. And obviously, we weren't going on assignment. So, it, again, it wasn't masses, but it was still in level with sort of what someone like uh, Lonely Planet or Sunday Times would have paid for these sort of features. Uh, after about a week, we'd reached the 7,000. So, we were allowed to, the crowdfunder then lets you continue. So, we carried on. We managed to raise 13,000. So, obviously, we were, allowed to, we were able to give a lot more to each contributor. We still at this stage probably thought it was only going to be one issue. Like loads of people got behind us. We got the British Guild of Travel Writers. Other magazine editors were reaching out to us. There was just inundated with offers of help and what we could do. And before you know it, we were looking at doing a second issue, which we came out. And then our third issue has just come out now. And I think in the first one, we won the Travel Magazine of the Year. So we beat out the likes of Nat Geo Traveller in the UK, Condé Nast, uh, well, all of them, I guess, but all the big names which and then that just catapulted it into like now we're just in and we, like, we've got tourist boards wanting like we're all reaching out to us can we do a story on this can we do a story on that can we work with you you know these sorts of things brands and we're trying to build it into brands and take other things on so we so we've now sort of we don't take have adverts in the magazine it's only sponsored so each issue is sponsored by a tourist board or a brand or, or any one company that wants to do it but again it's not so there's no adverts it's just they're sort of inside of the front cover they get a thank you know we're proud to sponsor this issue which helps fund it and then that sort of led on so we can now actually use our tourist boards are offering and stuff we can we've sort of controlled our editorial so in the way that we've sort of said this is the way we work if you want to work with us we need a photographer and a writer to go out and you need to you know you don't get an advertorial it's still we control the editorial direction and we've chosen the stories but the tourist boards and hotels and places are prepared to work with us so we can actually now afford to send writers and photographers out into the field to record stuff and at the same time getting paid so yeah it's kind of living the dream at the moment and um it just it just needs to take that extra step really which is at the same time as this was going on i was coming into web3 and nfts and after about 
know, six months or so, I started to realize that I was, well, the journey was a Web3 business, but it was, or it was a Web3 business model, but it was operating in Web2. Because as I saw more of these sort of PFP projects or the art or whatever it might be, you know, building these communities. And I was like, wow, we could really try and utilize this technology and be one of the first to do it, you know, to actually tokenize a magazine. Um, and so that's what I've been working on, really. And we, I've, 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 I mean, we're there. I just haven't dropped anything because I'm just aware that I want to get everything right. I don't want to rush it. Like we've, we've got what we're going to do. We've got the plan in place now. And you know, I don't want to drop it before we could. We talked about dropping it at the beginning of December. We decided that it wasn't the best time. It's probably going to be nearer, like the end of January now, and we actually tokenize it. But we've got so many incentives that we're able to sort of tie down with it to hopefully the longevity of what we're building and obviously then being able to actually help artists you know give certain perks to photographers that are in there there's obviously we've been working with brands like every tourist board we're talking to and brand we talk to it's just when we tell them about our plans and web3 and what we're building over here they're you know want they they love it really they like they don't quite know why they love it but they know they're on that verge of this is the technology they need to be involved in they're hearing about it so it's it's really helping that we can do that and the hope is that then obviously we can add you know all these sort of people will work with perks so there'll be discounts on flights for holders discounts on anything travel related, car hire hotels activities all these sorts of things and then for the people who invest in it in terms of the readers that, that aren't necessarily artists, hopefully that you know, our plan is really that they won't have quite the same value to it as maybe an artist, a writer, a creative might, because we're going to hold places back up for early pitch calls just for people who hold the, the token. We're going to be able to send out old spaces specifically for Web3 you know, stories. So it's, it's going to be a mix. I'm hoping and relying on that. I've built enough connections over that the, the artists will buy it and support us in the fact that we can, you know, we're able to sort of build this whole ecosystem that supports artists and obviously still get all the perks from it. And then the, um, the, uh, the readers or just traditional people will hopefully almost become patrons of the arts at a very affordable price. They, and obviously all of this includes the magazine and, you know, so it's, it's really just adding perks to try and build in this web three community around what we're doing. And, and then obviously the plan is to sort of go into hopefully we can help, you know, actually build a journey collection and we can actually bring artists in from Web2 or traditional artists, you know, bring them in and help them bring collectors in as we start to bring people in from the uh, business world. And yeah, combine these whole thing, all this thing, all these different avenues, basically, and make it this like a sense of we want to build a place where it's like a sense of belonging i think really where you've just got a whole community and it fits perfectly with you know you could couch surf almost you're building connections and we'll try and do irl events and you know there's a lot of ideas that are going to take a lot of work to sort of see through but hopefully enough people will believe in what we're doing and can see what we're building we've got a tangible product that's really trying to make a difference and you know that's really where we're at at the moment i guess I feel like i'm waffling a bit there sorry no, no, that is totally fine. We're going to have to bring you back at the end of January and hear all about how people can get involved. It, I, I think it's, I mean, as someone who loves to travel and who loves travel photography, I made a lot, I made my living for like the last, before, before I moved to San Diego, my, uh, when I was in Montana, my, basically I made my living doing travel photography and I was doing it for the destination of Montana, as well as some of the like really high end properties there and different, you know, food producers and different people like that. But um, it's like any kind of talk of travel just makes my pulse race. I'm like, this is the most exciting thing ever. So um, who, who do you anticipate will be buying these tokens? Are they mostly the creators or are they 
the the brands and the destinations and those others, you know, because you're saying it's a whole ecosystem. So obviously you need people all across the system who have all these different roles that can go to, into making the whole thing work. But in your mind, who, who are going to be buying these tokens? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I hope we'll be bringing people in to do it from the traditional side. We'll be getting extra people in through that way. But really, I, I, in an ideal world, it would be people who just want to support the project, who don't want anything out of it. Who you know? So I guess like not collect maybe collectors, but people who other photographers who aren't looking to even travel, just any so that we can actually then that would be the ideal that everyone's just happy with supporting the whole ecosystem and the whole what we're building here in the community. That you know that would be the ideal. But I, I envisage it really being hopefully a mixture of everyone. I, I figure in reality I'm sort of trying to garner support by just hoping everyone believes in what we're building here that they can play a part in something bigger and better than themselves and we can continue to grow this whether they're directly benefited by it. i mean there's obviously you know if we sell if we end up tokenizing there was sort of the only thing we're not decided between is whether to do like 500 or a thousand of them um you know obviously that's a lot of people so we, you know we can't help everyone but you know straight away so it's really, yeah, just hoping that people believe and we make them, we're going to make them affordable so that, you know, and at the end of the day, you're getting the magazine. So you'd be, it'd be almost like an online subscription to the magazine, but you'd get a lot more perks with it that really you wouldn't get if you were just getting the magazine, which I don't want people to put off the magazine, but we want to try and build this Web3 thing because we believe that what uh, my biggest thing is I don't want to become a founding editor or have worked with a magazine that just ends up being another magazine where we just are three months away from closing our doors because we're relying on advertising. We're doing advertorials. We're doing articles that nobody cares about. Nobody really wants to read and we can't pay well enough. We want to actually be changing it so that we've got long form journalism. We've got high quality photography. We've got a real fantastic product that, you know, printed. And it, it, you have to see the magazine. I'm sure some people, I know um, Houston has uh, got a copy, I think. I'm not sure who else has. But, you, you know, when you actually hold the magazine as well, it's not just a typical flimsy magazine. It's almost more like a book. It's something you'd keep and you'd really cherish, hopefully, and put on a bookshelf and keep for years. So that's one bonus of it, I guess. And then, um, yeah, the other thing that we want this will allow us to do if we do it is obviously as everyone knows editorial photography and art and writing and that side of things is, is pretty underpaid whereas and it's because people have been been prepared to have to sort of they've cut corners they've had to you know do advertorials and things like that as they're working on very small budgets but we see that if we can use the utilize the, you know what's going on in web3 we can actually change the whole pay structures and actually make this a viable means of income for photographers while getting to experience a whole load of stuff having a great time hopefully traveling the world doing cool shit and then obviously they can sell their images as stock so they've got extra revenue they are given that's not much money but they still own the license to them you know we can start to work and hopefully as we are brand builds we can bring in new photographers old photographers all you know experienced unexperienced whatever and actually start to do collections with their work so and again bringing in web 2 that will help bring in the people the photographers in web 2 and they see that this sort of is here and then they'll bring their collectors and we can help build this ecosystem and we kind of hope as well that if we can do that that the end result will be that people will want to work for us more than other brands other magazines which is not that what we want but we hope once they do that they realize that they want to work for us because we're about able to pay better therefore they're forced to pay better to still keep their magazine in competition with us and the whole ecosystem again just keeps changing and growing and we bring it back to actually being a viable viable income form for photographers and writers i mean i know when we were at the awards thing i was sat next to a lady and you know 
and she was telling me he's on food stamps and it was just like it was just i was just like wow and she's writing for the guardian you know national geographic and i, I was just in shock i was like i didn't know it was that bad like i was just like you're one of the best writers in the uk you know that's the situation i was like this is definitely not acceptable right and if it continues it's just going to be something that dies as well we're not going to have these things which you know i still love seeing my work in print you know it's still something i loved about it and i, th- I think all photographers will seeing on a magazine that goes on the shelves that you know everyone knows the name of is still a huge you know everyone puts that in their bio so if you get published by nat geo there's nobody who's not shouting about that so we want to make it that you know journey's the same and hopefully you know we're, we're very early on in this still i mean you know if we, we don't expect it to go quick or you know but we've got a five sort of five plus year plan in web three and you know we're, we're dedicated to it and building into it and you know i think what we could get in five years could be astronomical and how much support we could actually help to put this community you know the photography and the creative community and writers all together and have a great time doing it well it sounds like you're you I, it's very exciting to to hear that you've got this plan and that first of all you know when you when you were going out it sounded like you were going out for like seven thousand dollars of funding and you got thirteen thousand at least and you know you you, you were you're on a roll <laughs> starting off really well and i would i want to know about the stories in your magazine i am sadly i don't have a copy of it yet but like right after the space i'm gonna have to go figure out how to get one maybe get on your subscription list if if the third uh, edition has already come out maybe i'll get the fourth one but what are the criteria for your stories what can people expect to read in there you said it's for photographers by photographers or by photographers for photographers but are these stories that just the general traveler would like to read as well or are they primarily about shooting photos in these other uh, destinations so it's I'd probably worth pointing out i didn't um it's now it's not really when we actually or it never has been like actually a by photographer i mean i suppose it was by photographers because we are photographers that started it but it was really more it was never just the photography it was very much evolved around the writing and the final actual piece and how they gel together so it was really more about writers and photographers but i guess creatives because we do plan to sort of hopefully bring in some actual more traditional forms of art and think you know even sculpture and things like that and have different stuff as we grow but uh, yeah we um so how, how do i describe this quite yeah, they're, t- they're stories that anyone would want to read, I think, but they're written in a form of, we haven't said you have to mention this, you have to do this, you have to say it's good, you can't. They're very truthful and what we call long form journalism. So they're real stories that really, there's no, every, it's sort of every uh, feature is sort of 10 to 12 pages. So the writers are really able to get under the skin of the place. They're not, you know, well, even when things are sponsored, they're not told, we're not, we're in control of the editorial. So we chose the angle, we chose what we wanted to do and how we wanted to tell the story. And then we, again, like I said, we didn't just often like with magazines will send out, just make do with the photography from the writer maybe, or they'll just buy a few stock images or things like that. We've tried, while we've ha- obviously had to fill things with stock because it just, during a pandemic, it wasn't feasible. We obviously, you know, might have a story by someone on, I know we did one on Sierra Leone, the Banana Islands in Sierra Leone. And, you know, he hadn't taken any pictures. It was a fantastic piece. But it was like, okay, well, how do we even get these? You know, and even if we, at that time we didn't have the money, even if you could have traveled to send someone out to Sierra Leone for a week and do all this. So, you know, we had to do stock and stuff. But the point is now we're at the point where we don't need to do that. 
So we've got this magazine that hopefully presents beautifully that every page you open, you've got fantastic photographs in it. And then when you actually read the stories, they're really relevant, they're different stories. We don't just, you know, if it's Peru, like we, if it's Peru, it's not a story on Machu Picchu. If it's Morocco, it's not a picture, or sorry, India, let's say it's not on the Taj Mahal. They're all very unique stories that we've put together that we've pitched and we or we found and dug out and you know we've got a whole team that does all the research and an editor emma who does all that sort of stuff so she's putting together these like um we did one of the day of the dead but the day of the dead was um you know very much it was the beginning of the day of the dead pasquaro the, the sort of foundations of it and it was not this whole celebration of like that you sort of imagine maybe from the james bond movies or what happens in mexico city it was the real sort of get together the family orientation side of it the real sort of peaceful calming you know um, religious side of it so it was a different view on things like that but so yeah that's it's, it's it's tough to do actually it's really hard to find those really interesting stories it's harder than you think because not the, the sort of tendency is i guess of people to write about the more common things that will will sell whereas we're trying to find that different angle and actually really add some value to the to the reader rather than just another story that they've already read or or know about through the internet we want to give them some real value to it and Hopefully, most of the stuff you're reading about, you know, I guess some people are going to have heard of some places or know the country, so they might even know what the story is about. But hopefully, most of them are completely unique. And, you know, we figure if we haven't heard about them between us, we've almost been to every country in the world between our team, right? Then we sort of think there's a good chance that, you know, maybe that's quite an unusual story or take on a, a sort of familiar story. Well, along those lines, how how do you find the stories? Do people pitch them to you, and, and what are the what are the can can you share anything about like how someone might if they have a story, they're like, oh, I've got the perfect story. <laughs> I need to get on yeah. the charted. How do they yeah, we, share that with you? Yeah, we put out pitch calls, so you can sign up to our email. If anyone wants to DM me, then I can send that over to you and um, uh, put you on the mailing list for our so our editor or sub editors will get in contact when they're looking for something. They'll they might say oh we know we need we sort of as she's planning something she might think oh we've got too much here or we need something from asia or we need something more in europe or whatever so it sort of equals out a little bit so she might then decide that she'd like to get something oh we haven't done anything for a while on i don't know or haven't seen it you know have done anything in japan or whatever let's say and she'll put a pitch call say i'm looking for and she'll sort of have an idea of what she's looking for in my wildlife and all your people what but we're always open to pictures as well. Like we get pictures all the time. And uh, one of the things we're going to do actually with the um, uh, with the uh, tokens is we're going to run workshops for holders as well. So that we'll actually have we'll have Emma on about how to pitch. We'll have the whole team on doing separate seminars about how to actually you know how best to work with a magazine, how things need to be received. Because one thing we've noticed is that we we get a lot of pictures and very few of them are actually even close to what the sort of brief of the pitch was and they're still very hard to understand and obviously it's a busy team and you know need to do things it's, it is very much about catching the editor's eye or the picture editor's eye so and have and, and also working out how you're going to tell these stories as well but yeah everything can be pitched to us again if anyone wants to just drop me a dm i'll send you the emails uh, of um of who to contact and yeah how to put things together and obviously happy to help you sort of even you know for the web three people trying to help with any, any advice on how to put it all together but that's really amazing okay so you guys you heard it here <laughs> find jordan banks and uh and and figure out how to get on that list you know i i attended a a really useful 
conference. It was a summit called the Travel Writers and Photographers Summit. It was at Book Passage in Corte Madera, California, which is like in the um, Marin County, just north of San Francisco. I don't know if you've ever heard of Book Passage, but they are an amazing bookstore that really focuses on travel books and travel photography, um, all kinds of, you know, either narrative, you know, fictional, all kinds of books, but their real focus is travel photography. And they, it was like a, I don't know, I want to say like a three day, maybe four day conference that they do every year. And they just bring together, you know, the the travel editors from like um, LA Times and from, you know, AAA via magazine and in just all kinds of magazines and they are sharing with those very seasoned and also very beginner amateur you know aspiring i want to say photographers and writers and try to teach them how to pitch things i wonder if it's something like once you get to tokenizing this thing maybe holders can you can somehow partner with those guys and get because it's quite expensive it's like eight or nine hundred dollars to attend i think and maybe there could be some something you build in with that because they've been doing it for years and years and they've got some really killer photographers and really killer like writers there in fact i'm not going to remember all these these people's names but there are some like OG travel writers who go there. Um, there's this guy in, I want to say Tim Cahill from Montana, you know, like all the, all the people from like outside magazine and stuff. But I think, I think that um, there's, there's definitely some, some useful tips that people can get in terms of how to pitch a story. And I think, you know, just, I think that there's a lot of people who would just really love to be a travel photographer or love to be a travel writer. But when it, when it comes right down to it, there are some real serious skills that are needed to, to do the, to do that work. You know, it, it seems very quite romantic to be like, I'm a travel writer, but it's, it's hard work, isn't it? I mean, like, what would you say is like the most important types of skills a, a contributor to your magazine would, would have in place to be like being able to deliver those stories that, that you're looking for? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, one thing we do, this is where we, we sort of want to build on the way we're doing things that we, like a lot of magazines, in the UK, and I'm sure this is probably fairly common worldwide, it's, and it's understandable why it happens, but once an editor or a picture editor has found somebody that does a good job, there's very little incentive for them to take a risk on somebody new. And that's just because they know that this person is going to go out and do the good job and they're going to be happy and it's all done and everyone, their boss is happy and they advertise and so on and so on. But we, we're trying to build this whole ecosystem. Again, I keep saying that word, which is going to really piss me off. I keep saying it. but um, that, that allows us to actually bring people in who don't need those skill sets or are learning those skill sets. So so everyone understands what we're building. And it's got this whole thing that, you know, people are, there is going to be an article that maybe might not be quite as good as the person, if you compare it to the person who's had 20 years experience, but this person's on their first article, you know, they, they're going to learn. So we want it to be that they, you know, we get the chance to actually, and we'll work with them if they, we need this sort of thing to try and, you know, the briefs are fairly easy, I'd say. If you actually read what and pay attention and just discuss and talk to us, like I say the writing is a lot harder than the photography. The photography, I think, you know, you can, any good photographer can, you know, just, I not say pray and spray and pray, but 
you know, you can cover a lot of stuff in an art. It, and, and that's why we send writers out together with photographers you know, wherever possible, because then they actually know who the writer is talking about, what the places they're going to mention, what they visited. So they can actually make sure. And, you know, we don't expect an editorial photographer. We don't, and we don't want either. We don't want every shot to be shot at sunrise and sunset in this perfect magical light. Because again, it just goes back to that realistic thing that the viewer, if it's just too perfect, it's just like, oh, that's just a load of rubbish. That's not really true. Whereas, you know, when you're showing, and again, you need lots of details and it's about food and about the whole, you really want to give this whole sense of place. So you've got the landscapes, you've got the, you know, day-to-day life. So it's, I'd say it's easier for photographers, for writers. I mean, in an ideal world, they, we, the only way we trust them, I think, is some we know, but we're, we're very, we, we know and we've worked with them. We sort of fill it in with some of them because we know we can get stuff that's, you know, already written and up to standard. But really, just other people, if they can show us stuff they've written and show them, we'll give them a shot, really. It's just showing that they, you know, obviously, it's, we have to have some proof. Because, like, for myself, I could go and say I can write a piece. And I've even written pieces for people. But, and then, you know, I've had editors and it's actually been credited to me and it's not me who's written it. But I've just sort of really just gone to these countries and I've written, you know, 500 or 1,000 words. And then an editor has spruced it up, but they still credit it to me. But there's no way I could. And then people have come to me afterwards going, oh, can you come and write this story for us? we saw what you did in this piece and it's like oh, no 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 like you can't you know I'm, I'm not really a good writer at all so you have to you know we'd have to ideally see something that people have written to to sort of you know show that they can write but it doesn't need to be even you know it could be about their hometown about anything it's really just proof that you know you can hold the, hold the pen i guess is the term yeah yeah i think that that's something you you really can't you can't get beyond i mean if this is this type of a magazine is something like you said is going to stick around not just for months but for years on the shelf and the the writing needs to be quite quite good (laughs) and and timeless almost right like it's about a story and a journey and and that that sounds really exciting i think have have you ever had an experience where the, the writer and the photographer go out and really the the writer kind of follows what the photographer does and sort of, and, and has the photographer driving the story or is it usually the writer who's driving the story it's almost always the writer that's going to drive the story because that tends to be what sort of holds the thing together. That's where the angle will come from, from the writing. And then, I mean, we do do, we, we have photo essays in there. So we do do that. And we do actually choose somewhere we, you know, we will have had photos come in that are so strong that then we, uh, we work in the sort of old fashioned National Geographic way where it's like the photographer tells a story through pictures and then the writer is sent out or commissioned to, to to do the piece afterwards based on the photo. So not necessarily me the same person, because it might not be possible, but the same angle. So that is something we're trying to do, but it, it generally is led by the, the writer. But in answer to your question, we haven't come across too many issues yet, but we are only in issue three. So we've probably only commissioned so far what in maybe six to eight pieces which you know we're only like i say our third issue only just came out so we while it doesn't obviously six to eight seems like absolutely nothing to anyone listening i'm sure but you know when you take into account that there's been uh, 56 stories from a magazine that's pretty much self-funded um hopefully you know it can show where we can grow into when we when we carry this on and how much and obviously as we start to put digital content in next year uh, as in terms of a website, obviously the magazine is digital and hard copy, but we'll actually obviously start to do digital content. And again, this is a way that we can allow 
people to obviously we can bring we've got we work we will allow advertising and sponsors more sponsored stories and stuff through the website in terms of again they won't be advertorials but you'll be able to every hopefully we can get every every story sponsored and we won't so, so it will be sort of a blog but won't be as regular as a blog and there'll be sort of long form stories again long form writing but this allows us to get people out there you know support more photographers support more writers get people out on assignments it might not always make the magazine but it's still you know and the reality is it's probably even more important for the for the in the longevity of terms of things and for the for the people buying the sponsors to have things online than it is actually the magazine the magazine is gonna and we start to work on a whole load of other stuff with brand brand usa and we're starting to work with some other tourist boards in europe um to actually create content as well and like really so journey will almost the aim is will be the vanity project that everyone sees in the sort of face of the business but then a lot of it behind will be about content creation about working with brands tourist boards and it won't be you won't see your work in actual final print in a magazine yet granted or not always or hopefully realistically if it keeps enough people working very rarely will you see stuff actually in the pages of the magazine but you know hopefully you'll still be making a fairly good living or you know it'll be helping with that revenue stream to freelancers and things like that so it sounds like a really great blend of uh you know having having a team going out and and telling this really great story with no creative controls on it and then maybe while you're there turn out an assignment or two for the sponsor you know that will help help with the content that they need to put out to their audience. Um, great, really, really cool model. I, I, I see a lot of photographers and definitely some travel photographers out in our audience today. And I just wanted to put out the invitation if anyone would like to come up. If you have a question that's, that's popped into your head after this conversation we're having with Jordan, please uh, hit request and we'll bring you up here. I, I see lots of uh, amazing, talented photographers and, and they might have some questions about how to get involved or any, you know, any like of your plans for the future and stuff. Um, so let's, I hope that's okay. We'll, we'll keep the questions easy, but the, um, so, so you were talking about how your editors might say, you know, putting out a story call, are there, are there stories given that you've printed, you know, um, in the over 50 stories, but commissioned wise, there were only six to eight. Are, are those coming in from the, from the story call? These, these like sort of maybe pre-existing stories, maybe they're unpublished, but they might be work that someone had in their archive, uh, like a story they've been trying to pitch and trying to find a home for. Is that, is that kind of a true statement of, of like what the situation is? Yeah, so the six to eight were actually where we've sent writers or photographers out like on an actual commission. We've sort of had someone who's agreed we've been able to finance it, and or had someone who's agreed to put them up with flight or give you know providers with flights and um, accommodation and transport and things like that to actually sort of you know save costs. And then we're so we're able to still pay the photographer's fee basically. Um, so that's what those six or eight have been. Um, whereas, and then we've had a, a couple of those have actually been sponsored. So Botswana was sponsored um so that's a sponsor of a magazine and um mississippi tourist board was again was one of the sponsors so those were through those the, the, the first issue everything was already been we put pitch calls out for anyone we we reached out to people ourselves and sort of said you know have you got anything show us what you've got because obviously nobody could travel so we had to go from archive so that was first issue was entirely archive stuff that people had already done but again there's so much we wanted the stuff that was normally left on the cutting room floor as well so it worked out that it really wasn't an issue we, we were given 
I, I remember just one that was a photo essay on China and um, we just we only needed six pictures and they were fantastic we put them all in as double page spreads and it was just like this is the photographer loved it because he was just like wow I'm getting like six double page spreads this is incredible like you know for him and it just looked so cool as well to do it that way um, then since then we've put out pitch like most of our stories if you count it that way have come from pitch calls so we've either said to people you know we're looking for this and a couple of people i think have you know without being actually commissioned have gone you know obviously our, our reach is all over the world so some people are living in these places have gone out and shot stories we said we're looking for something you know say wildlife in kenya and somebody might have been like well i've got that some we've had people sort of from that and some people are from kenya and have gone out and you know specifically talk about lions or whatever or made a story for us so obviously we don't we don't like recommend that people go and put a load of money into shooting a story that may not get picked up but obviously we can't stop anyone doing it we put out these pitch calls and hopefully someone comes back with something but i think there is a lot to be said as well for for that way of doing it as well because we're we're finding these unique stories as well we're finding we're able to give photographers or creators who hadn't normally had weren't finding it so easy to get a break a break because we wanted different stories they had what we wanted and it all just really worked really well to be honest the way it sort of came together and like i say a lot of these stories they're not wanted by the other magazines because they're not you know advertiser friendly or they're not they're too obscure whereas we were like that's what we want like we want those so that people start to think about it and you know we just didn't uh, we neither of us had interest in actually being just another travel magazine it was just like if we're going to do this let's go all in and do it the way we want to do it and if it doesn't work well at least we tried you know that's all we uh, whereas if we just give in and just become another travel magazine then that wasn't for us and that's one of the big things we think about web3 as well like it, it potentially if i if we can pull this off and we can get enough support and we can build it in the right way and we can you know provide enough quality to the to the token holders to the backers of this project then that gives us complete freedom where we don't even need i mean could you imagine a world where a magazine runs where it doesn't have to even have a sponsor it's just backed it, it truly would be yes what well, i use the term photographer by photographers for photographers but in this case it'd be by creatives for creatives and we've got this self-run thing that we, you know, we can do what we want. We can tell the stories we want. If someone comes and says, hey, I want to do a story on something that nobody might care about, nobody thinks, it's just so out there that, you know, it's, no, it's probably not going to get many readers, you wouldn't think, but who cares? We can do it. And the people that matter get to read it. You know, it's not this typical another beach story or how to get a martini in Manhattan or whatever, you know, or the 10 best bars in Paris, you know, I, I don't think anyone cares about that. Whereas if we could really, and we could send people out again, going back to the days of, you know, like the heydays of life and time and National Geographic, where you could put someone on assignment for a year or six months or whatever it might be and really then come back and have this breaking story, really, you know, you could take it into filming documentaries, you could start a channel. I mean, I'm, I'm getting carried away probably, but the, this, this Web3 ecosystem allows us to potentially build that. And I don't see that as unrealistic. No, neither do I. I see it as absolutely potentially <laughs> like right in front of us. So uh, we're going to journey with you in Journey Magazine. Um, so let, let's uh, let's we, we're welcomed uh, Therese to the stage. And it's been a while since I've said hi to you. But hey, welcome to the stage. And uh, we're happy to hear your question. Thank you very much, Pam. Yeah, it, it's been a while. And hello, Jordan. I don't believe we have talked before. I'm a Swedish photographer based in uh, in Sweden, <laughs> obviously. Uh, I have a background, you know, freelancing a lot for travel magazines and even books. But I got curious, and excuse me for being late to your space, um, 
but have the magazine is are you also like implementing uh, the magazine fully to the web tree like doing um, um uh, the magazine in ebooks format e scene format yeah that's exactly how we're going to do it that's so it'll be issues coming out like that but there'll also be other airdrops to things we will hopefully be we haven't quite decided how to do it but the covers we might try and we're probably going to hold them back for a bit but maybe try and release the covers as one of ones we will start to release some of the text as well so actually as the print format to allow again we can bring writers into web3 and we can start to get them extra commissions through their words which maybe wasn't the traditional you know obviously people are you know doing poems and songs and stuff but it's it's still not a huge area so if we can bring in and these sort of become the collectibles from the magazine but yeah the 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 idea for the holders token will be the the actual magazine very similar basically like uh, time magazine did with the first issue of um of their not their first the first uh, nft issue i can't remember what number issue it was but i think everyone knows what i'm talking about probably Ah, great. Great to hear. Uh, I'm really a a magazine fan uh, since many years. Another question I have, because I know some um, photographer friends around the world who have mentioned that they uh, gotten asked by the magazines to, like, uh, the magazines want the rights to do the NFT of their work. How are you thinking around that, or how thoughts about collaborate uh, collaborating with the writers or photographers? So everyone would hold the rights to there, so we wouldn't uh, like. I, I have heard talk of that I haven't actually seen it implemented, but actually hold people like you saying holding the rights to it if it's worked for them. But that's not the case. They could come in and mint their own work if they wanted to come down that the writers or photographers it's still they own the copyright we just own it for you know or not the own or the usage for that magazine um we do hope that we can at least onboard people into it and give them a platform where we can actually put it have a journey open sea page or manifold or you know and actually start to sort of bring revenue to them because we you know most of them we speak to at the moment haven't got a clue how to do it and have got no interest so we figured if they say, you know, for a, a small fee, we're sort of thinking around the sort of 10 to 15 percent that, that would all go back into the magazine. It wouldn't be taken by anyone for profit. So it would all just go back into the ecosystem to support it and the work that would go into actually doing the, um, the job of you know running an Web3 project on that side of things. So, we, yeah, we, we wouldn't force anyone to do it. You don't have to do it. They'd have the complete rights. They want to do it. They, then we can do We will look to maybe do it for them. It's not something we're actively like pursuing at the stage it's on the list of things to do but it's you know we're, we're definitely not at that stage yet but yeah be open if someone wants to do it they do it if they don't they don't and they can by all means just go their own route and mint it themselves and try and sell it that'd be absolutely fine ah interesting i saw that you had someone as sort of um uh, covering the area of sweden but was situated in london uh, so uh, how is it it's open for people who are freelancers to uh, contact you and uh, suggest uh, submissions or collaboration of sorts yeah of course drop me a dm and i'll send you the um 
that you know so you can get onto the list of uh, or your email so we can put it onto the pitch calls email and obviously then you, i'll put you in contact with the email so that you can get hold of editors and pitch any stories you might want to um but no in an ideal world this is another way we'd work it like obviously our reach is isn't that big and like i say we've only just done issue three but all our photographers so far have come, like some have been like the sweden we haven't sent someone out to sweden so we probably if there's been a piece done on sweden i can't remember which i don't i, I thought it was finland in there it might have been sweden but um then it's probably been we've pitch called something and that person just we didn't you know they had it already written basically or the piece but ideally we see this as how we can use again bringing web3 into this global community that again it allows us to pay more if we can find a photographer in the country that to do the job then obviously we've saved a massive section just in airfare in you know hotels and that sort of thing and especially if, if they're actually physically very close to that area it's even better because one they might have a back catalog they can fill in photos from or so more on the photography side this is i guess but um also if the conditions aren't just right you know if you send if i got an assignment for whoever and it's two weeks of rain then that's what the the article is going to look like whereas obviously if we've got the photographer actually on the ground then you know they can go out and keep going out and you know so it's right they can just go this week didn't work we'll go next week we've got plenty of lead time on it or something like that so it makes a lot more sense and it also for from our side we want to be a global magazine so you know obviously people from sweden from you know all these different countries are featured in the magazine hopefully they start to tell their friends and family that builds up readership that builds up people wanting to be in it and just builds this whole thing just keeps snowballing well I, i'm excited for you and uh, i've been around for a while so <laughs> for me it's, uh, i really love magazines and uh, currently currently i've been doing a epub um, course at the university because i do find the possibility with the nft combined uh, for that so um, anyway uh, best of luck with everything and I will um, send you DMs so I can get the right uh, contact info and uh, I'm like anyone down there uh, any collaboration if you're going to go to Sweden welcome to join me I, I like to collaborate with people and help out if I can and best of luck for uh, your project Jordan thank you so much appreciate you coming up Thank you. Thank you so much for the great question. Um, I have a friend that just visited Sweden. His his wife is from Sweden and he's from the U.S. He said he slipped on some black ice and broke some ribs actually while he was there. But he was treated so well in the medical system. It didn't cost him a penny to get fixed up. And um, Sweden <laughs> is high on his list for that reason. Um, not for the black ice reason, but oh, he, he loves it there. And his wife is from there, so... It's a it's a lovely place, and maybe you'll, maybe we'll get to read about Sweden very soon, <laughs> again. Um, so let's see. Anyway, if anyone else would like to come up, please do. Um, Jordan, I know that the other thing that, that you're up to besides besides Journey Magazine is you have this uh, travel workshops and photo tours. The wild that wild idea is that still a project that you're that you're actively doing, or does the magazine take up all your time? Yeah, yeah, still very much. Do. We we don't do loads. Like we're not a full time. Well, we are. It is a full time company, but. It, um, we only do sort of four to six tours a year. So we tend to do Scotland, the UK, and then we'll mix it up between sort of Slovenia, Montenegro, Italy, uh, Namibia, Botswana, places like that, and just sort of change it up every now and again. But yeah, we do. So we've got um, 
this year i think we did namibia iceland and um we didn't do any of the beginning because it was kind of we just we were a bit slow like trying to get back onto the marketing and how to do it and when to kick things off so it was the second half of this year that we sort of did scotland iceland namibia and then we've got um a uk one i think going on tanzania and um and Slovenia and the Dolomites again. So yeah, that's that's a very easy side of the business, though. To be honest, compared to the magazine, I mean, it was stressful before, but now it seems like the magazine is just so much more stressful than um, than workshops. That the work everyone's now like, yeah, let's go to workshop. This is like a holiday. Like it's just so much easier. <laughs> well, they're certainly fun, at least for the participants, aren't they? What What do you enjoy about teaching other people photography skills? That's a good question, really. Um. I think just seeing people being enthusiastic about anything, I, I, I really just love it so much. Like it's my life. So just seeing people who are just passionate about what I am, and I, I kind of, I guess I'm, I guess like anyone who's been doing something a while, you get a little bit jaded, maybe. And um, you know, just to see people, you know, see people turn up to spots for the first time that you maybe I don't know, one that always hits me is like the old man of store or the Kerrang in the Isle of Sky, which I must have been to for you know twenty times. And I sort of, I, I, you know, it doesn't look that special to me anymore, but just because I guess I've become blasé, I know exactly what I'm about to look at. And then seeing people just see these places and just get excited about the photo opportunities and run around like, you know, watching, you know, all ages just lose their minds and act like go back to being 10-year-olds with a camera and just trying to find shots and run around. is just, it's really rewarding to see, like, just be like, oh, yeah, this is why we do it. Like, it is amazing, isn't it? Like, I should stop just taking this for granted, I think. And, and yeah, just... I think it's nice to spread knowledge, isn't it? I think like anyone, it's kind of a vanity thing. Like it feels nice to talk about something you're passionate about and know about and have people want to or care enough about it to listen to what you've got to say on it, which is, I think it's a nice feeling to know that people care. Yeah, it sure is, isn't it? It, it I, I can totally relate to, to that, you know, watching people, you know, something you've seen a, a million times over and then it's like <laughs> seeing someone experience it with fresh eyes is does kind of bring you back to the reason why it, it meant something to you too. Do you do you feel like there's certain things like across the board that you feel like everyone kind of needs to be taught in terms of photography, uh, especially with your, and I'm not trying to like call out the workshop participants or anything like, I, I'm assuming that people come to learn from you so they could be at any level. I mean, I know Tony Bennett is an amazing singer and he still takes voice lessons every single day. So like there are people who really value the practice of learning new and continue to practice and all of that. So you might have very skilled photographers coming with you, but do you feel like there's something that you feel like you need to teach to every single person that comes through your workshop, like some some sort of Jordan Banks special formula or special uh, special sauce that you're like, oh, if I could just teach you this, your photos would be so much better. Uh, there is. I don't think it's something that uh, it's probably what everyone would say who's a, you know, a fairly experienced photographer. But I think, and it's not everyone that comes through because a lot don't are already prepared to do this. But I'd say there's two, which is the patience to just, if we turn up to, a lot of people to want to turn up to the spot and just think, I've got five, you know, if it's not right, right there, they're like, right, next spot. And you're like, no, okay, like, you know, it's not quite right now. It might be raining. We've got to go sit in the van for an hour. A bit of patience, I think, goes a long way. And um, and to slow down again, but that sort of goes with the patience, doesn't it? That, you know, if you've got a shot, choose the one cracking shot is worth more than 10 average shots. So, you know, concentrate on a location on getting that one killer shot 
you know, rather than those 10 average ones where you just darted around, just pointing the camera and didn't bother to set up a tripod maybe or didn't put the filters on or didn't use the right shutter speeds, you know, or got lazy. So you just thought, oh, I don't want to wait five seconds for that five second shutter speed for those clouds or whatever. So I think, yeah, patience and um, slowing down. But I guess they're, like I say, kind of the same thing. Wow, that is a really, I wasn't sure what you were going to answer <laughs> when I was going to ask this question. I was like, hmm, I wonder. <laughs> those are really good things and I think all of us could really take whether we go on a, a workshop with you or not that those are just really really good things for artists and photographers in general to, to incorporate into their world and to their daily life it kind of reminds me of when when you first were talking about being a kid and kind of taking pictures with your mind all the time like where you were always like looking at the world sort of putting it in a box and I I um think that like if I when I'm when I'm out and looking at stuff I'm like oh the light's so pretty that would make a really good shot but then if I pick up my camera and go over there and start doing it like everyone who I was with is just like oh there she goes this is going to take a while (laughs) because you know once you do pick up the real camera and look through the real viewfinder you know then then it's like you've committed and you kind of do need to like take the time be be patient do you know go after that shot otherwise yeah just keep them in your mind and keep them in your imagination because they're that's the only way they're going to stick with you because capturing something that's mediocre and just a I don't know just something that is anyone could do I mean we all I think we all do that you know I now especially at the with you know digital photography we just do that all the time just to be like yep I remember I remember and just like having a record of the places that you've been but boy when you spend the time and really get something that is really special that is that's uh you you might come home with maybe only 10 shots instead of the thousands that you actually took (laughs) but have, have you been able to see the results of encouraging your workshop participants to to do that to have patience and slow down or do they do they recognize the value of that advice yeah i think they do i mean i'm kind of stubborn because i as well i think being a workshop as anyone who's done it knows or running tours you've sort of got to allow like you, if you just shoot around then there's not enough places you know if you just want to go to the other sky and spend 10 minutes in a place and look at the view you, you'd be done quite quickly so the sort of i know i have to just slow it down so even i said it's like we're not going anywhere like you're only going to be set in the van and also there's you know i'll know as you sort of get to grow you've always got a couple of people who've maybe been on your tours or workshops so you'll know they want to stick around and you've got to sort of allow the time for the, the people prepared to really put it want to spend the time there so i think everyone starts to realize it as well and if you start i think what you hit on there as well was quite true i think in the way that when you pick up a camera then it starts to open up so if you start to sort of you know, do that like you can often say like say india is a good one we can run workshops there obviously it can be quite overwhelming to people if they've never been to india a, or you know if you're sat in pahaganj in delhi or somewhere it's just mayhem to them and they just can't even they sort of can't even see where the shot is totally understandable then you like put the camera to their eye or they do sorry and then you start showing them a few shots and then they start to and before you know it they're just flowing in they're finding shots and everything they're delving into corners they're into shops they're into you know talking to people and just seeing that one frame then just opens up you just got to take that plunge and that's that you know sticking with it and patience and i guess in this instance it's maybe not slowing down slowing down in terms of spending time in the spot but you know 
really in that example they'd be moving quite fast but you know you know what it's like you start often you might even see the shot and you think that's the shot but then you really realize you need to duck down a little bit or you actually need to go a little bit left or once you start to really focus in you see there's actually that bit of foreground or there's that person or whatever it might be or the clouds are a little bit you know we all know what that sort of process goes like you know it's, you end up developing the shot and taking it further potentially i mean not always but a lot of the time you can find something a little bit better than the, what you first thought maybe yeah yeah i can i, I think a, a bunch of photographers in this room you know, like shaking their heads yep yep <laughs> that's what you know when you have something in your mind I'm thinking what is he on about what a load of rubbish <laughs> they're probably thinking like no i don't know i don't think so i think a lot of it a lot of us have the same affliction you know like but you like you said once you pick up the camera it's like all right now let's like really let's do this we're here um well jordan i just i just think it's just so great to be able to catch up with you again like i said we our first chance chance to talk was about a year ago and you had just come out with a really cool series of portraits of um of the sadhus in in india and you you told some great stories about that that huge uh festival that only happens like was it once every is it every 13 years or i just don't know it's like so long that yeah, it's 12 span. years the kumela yeah 12 years so it happens again i think we've uh i'm going time to go so i think it's in, if i'm not mistaken 2025 so yeah two years the year uh, let's yeah, all go two years, two <laughs> yeah let's go let's go and photograph the chaos <laughs> it is mad chaos that's because chaos and then there's ca- that place like that is another level yeah i remember you told a story um i don't know if you want to tell that story again as a as a, as a wrap-up but um i remember there was you had you had one guy that was he's like don't lose me <laughs> Yeah, he was crowd. he was he was like the the guy who got me in everywhere. This young like he looked like a young Cat Stevens. It's like good looking, long black hair, like swaggering around like and he just he just had access all areas and somehow I met him and then he was just like that was the shot that was my first cover of Nat Geo was from there from what he got me into I was right on the like on the bank on the actual with the the people with the, the uh, sets and with the people rather than in the sort of press side or on boats on the river I was actually right in the mix of it all but he did say to me like after we were the first group his like to sort of charge into the water and enter on that morning and um afterwards it was just tens of thousands of people he's like if you lose me you're on your own you're in a place you shouldn't be you could find yourself in trouble obviously i lost him almost instantaneously once it all started to get going and um yeah as i was wandering out i took a uh, a cane or a stick across the back from a policeman who uh then knocked me down to the floor proceeded to like get pretty upset that i was in the wrong place and without the authority to do it but um yeah i don't know it's kind of a good story i'm quite happy i was not too bothered i understood about it i was like yeah, i could see he's just trying to look after this absolute mayhem that's going on so yeah it's just made a good story i guess and uh, it resulted it was worth it in the end with the uh for getting my first nat geo cover and that shot that went it sort of went i say viral it didn't go viral on social media but it went in the sort of old-fashioned viral way it went you know it managed to get printed all over the world and front pages of newspapers and things like that after it so it was all worth it <laughs> It was worth bathing in the Ganges as well. Like I, I knew I needed to bathe in them. I was like, I can't come to this festival and not sort of take part in it. But I also didn't want to be insulting because I didn't really know what I was. You know, I'm not a Hindu, so I didn't really know if it was right or wrong, or I didn't, you know, didn't know. What, I didn't want to insult anyone. And 
these guys invited me down to bathe and I think that's sort of where how we and him built up this mutual respect I mean I already had respect for him but he I think he gave me another level of respect when he realised that I was there to partake and experience this festival not just you know look at it from the outside and see what was you know just almost use it for photos I was like no I'm really here to experience this and obviously I was a bit worried that I might get sick but I was totally fine so I've obviously um, got a bit of an iron stomach I've I've been to India so many times and I hear so many stories of people getting really really ill and I've never once got ill in India so Mm, well the I love I love the term old-fashioned viral (laughs) old-fashioned viral this uh, this shot it is such a great shot um, and I, I, I have always really enjoyed that story. So I appreciate you sharing that again. Yeah. You lose me, you're on your own. <laughs> and it's just like, massive I think I've still, I've crowd. still got a scar to show for it. Like I've still got a mark on my back. I mean, he whacked me. It was, it was, you know, he was not holding back at all. It, it was hurt. Like, <laughs> well, we've all got our jobs to do. And that guy was to, uh, keep everyone in line. So, um, I'm yeah, really he kept sorry. Me in line. I didn't hang around. I got out of there. I was like, yeah, I've learned my lesson. Don't worry, I'll be leaving. <laughs> and you got the you got the you got to keep your camera and keep your your card and all of that. That's I guess what's what's important yeah, to really yeah. get in those situations. The whole thing was just madness. So he was probably just cabbing it from everywhere, like people running where they shouldn't. It was, you know, just everyone going everywhere, just crazy. And he's trying to police this thing. He's probably losing his rag. He's probably got his boss going like, what is going on? Like sort it out. <laughs> shit like that who knows but good times good times good times for sure well jordan thank you so much i know it's it's at least an hour and a half later now where you are than when we started and i i just really appreciate you spending some time with us today to bring us up to speed on what you're up to i know you're also uh selling nft photography so um we we love seeing that as well and uh, we're so glad that that you were one of the very first really OG photographers on Sloika. I think you were there when there was maybe all the other, you know, six or eight, maybe 10 others that were there. And of course, we've just welcomed our 500th photographer on board. And so um, things are, you know, things are rocking a year later here. <laughs> it's always it's been a quite, uh, I don't think I'll ever not talk about that. Like, I'm quite proud of the fact that I think, I don't know what number I was, but like you said, it was very, very early on. So I'm you know i'm quite proud to that that you know, expect, you know 500 now it seems to be in the top first 10 to mint on there it seems like a incredible <laughs> feat i didn't realize that and what you've built is amazing like the, the platform of slow coming obviously what what's been going on and uh, for me it was the, the contract thing and just knowing ev as well was just um you know it made perfect sense to me what he was doing and what was being built over there so 500 i'm so happy for you guys that's like i had no idea it was that many that's such an achievement like, and especially when you think about the fact that you're curating and you know you're getting such you know you're going through all this work and really dealing with each photographer and putting in the time and you know that's that's no small feat i know i'm just trying to deal with a magazine and trying to deal with i know how uh slack us photographers can be or hard to deal with for tracking us down and getting replies to emails and things like that so big respect yeah yeah well especially traveling photographers right because they're they're like i'm on a shoot i'm out of range i'm off grid yeah (laughs) all you can just do is sit there and be jealous (laughs) it must be horrible as well when you've got someone like looking you've got an amazing collection in front of you like let's just get this live and they're like i'll get back to you i'm just in a field somewhere i'm on a mountaintop and you're like just let's get this live it's amazing (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, while you were talking, I looked back really quickly. It looks like I was try- I want to say, oh no, never mind. I thought I was on a different chart. I was going to try to let you know exactly what what um number you were in terms I I see that there were some sales like on Christmas Day of last year from your from your series um but yeah I'll uh, I'll get I'll, I'll DM it, you <laughs> Yeah I th- I have a feeling in my head it might be like 12 or something like that is what I had in my head I might be the 12th person to min on there but I could be wrong about that That's that's kind of what I was doing I was doing a quick count but I was counting backwards and from from of course Ev was the very first person to mint a series on on Sloika and his series is called California Living. It was, uh, I believe it was 12 images from all over California. Of course, he's out now live with a uh, an edition that is uh, from his, some travel he did in Japan. It's his actually most viral shot he's ever taken of this like really beautiful place in Japan in the in the winter with the snowfall and everything. So um, we've all come a long way from those really really early days, and super happy to uh, to be able to to talk with you about what you're doing now. This really exciting journey that you're taking uh, all of the creators on you know with journey magazine i i hope that uh, i hope that it goes really well and that it uh, it does everything that you're dreaming it can because i think this this idea of taking it into web3 and really not only moving the needle for the people who are working with you on that project but by nature of doing that you know really affecting the whole because if other if other outlets are going to continue paying very little and not doing enough like you said this this photographer you met that, that and, or maybe it was a writer that works for the guardian and all these places is still like not being paid a, a decent wage you know we we need to uh, to change that and i think by nature of you going out with journey and and with the intention and and uh, action to make that happen, make make it be someplace that is a step up from other other outlets in terms of what the creators get paid and just the quality of everything. Um, it, it's you're headed in the right way, and I'm just really excited to hear more about it. And I hope we we can continue to stay in touch and hear all about all your success. That would be wonderful. No, totally, totally. I mean, thank you so much. I mean, I can't believe it's been a year. Like it feels like a couple of weeks to be honest. And it's that that's flown by, but. Thank you so much for having me, Pam. It's been great. And yeah, thank you everyone for coming and listening to me jabber on about my work and journey. And I can promise you, like, journey, whether it's Web3 or what we're not giving in, we're, we're, we're in this for the long haul. It's, it's gonna, we're going to make it happen. It's just a, at what pace we can make it happen, really. Obviously, the, the more support from people in the communities in Web3, Web2, you know, even the people in Web0, whatever, they, you know, if they're not, then that's, it'll all help drive this thing forward. And, you know, we're dedicated to it. And, we sort of see it like I said earlier it's our, our last thing like I don't you know if this doesn't work then I just go back I will just be a photographer there'll be no more ventures it'll be it's this and it has to work basically but yeah thank you so much Pam it's been amazing and uh, great work with what Soika are doing and 500 that's absolutely amazing and Fingers crossed there's some more Christmas Day sales. I don't think they'll be mine, but hopefully there's a big day on Christmas Day of NFT spending so on Sloika so everyone gets to enjoy Christmas. 
Yeah, there you go. That's I, I think that that'll be good. We've been seeing so many sales lately. There's there's been just a, a flurry of activity, whether it's one of ones or, or additions. So it, it has been very exciting over here in this part of the world. Um, I want to just let people know we've got um, three more darkrooms uh, darkroom episodes scheduled before Soika takes a quick break for about a week um, during between Christmas and New Year's. But on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be talking with Bruno Militelli and some of the folks over at Remix. And we're going to hear about uh, Bruno's drop called Nexus. And it's the very first drop on Sloika that every NFT comes with the ability to mint a a digital wearable that you can uh, you can put on and wear while you're run, running around in the metaverse. And so it's a super cool collaboration between these two. And I can't wait to hear more about it. I know that digital wearables are really hot. We learned about them quite a bit last year in Miami, not this Miami, but last night, Art Basel, Art Basel Miami. Um, there was already like a huge talk about uh, digital wearables in, in high fashion in the metaverse. So we're going to learn about that from Bruno and, and the team over at Remix. Next Monday at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be talking with TK. He's obviously a well-known collector in the space. And uh, we're going to hear all about the types of things he collects, how he finds the work, and what he likes doing in Web3. And then our final space of the year is going to be with Ashok Sinha, who is a photographer who's this is his very first NFT, his very first <laughs> exposure into Web3. Um, he has a book called Gas and Glamour, which is a, a, a fine art photography book about all of these really cool drive-ins and um, old style um, architecture throughout Los Angeles that really celebrated the car culture of like 1950s and 60s. So his book is really cool. Um, there's going to be um, a really, a really great um, talk with him about how he did the did that book he came into uh, Sloika and sold a piece right off the bat um, so we're really excited to have him here uh, one thing I forgot to mention we're going to have a special town hall type of meeting on this Friday we don't usually have spaces on Fridays um, this Friday um, our CTO who is Arseny Ivanov will be joining us um, along with Ev to dig into this whole thing about royalties um, a lot of Web3 artists are being challenged right now by um, certain platforms and, mar and marketplaces not paying royalties um, on secondary sales. And we're going to look at that issue in depth and hear about um, um, Arsene is going to bring us up to speed on what's really going on out there and what can be done. And especially like what OpenSea has been saying they're going to be doing after the first of the year. So we just set that up today. Um, that'll be on the 16th, Friday the 16th. That one is going to be at 11 a.m. Pacific, so what is that, um, 1 p.m., 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, so join us for that. We'll be putting out that space um, calendar listing uh, later this afternoon. Um, but with that, Jordan, thank you very much again for, for joining us. Thank you to all the listeners in the space and for Therese for coming up and talking with us. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close up the space, but um, until next time, peace, love, and JPEGs. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>